Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So let me jump into our message for today. Uh, We're continuing a series that we started two weeks ago called Minimized. And this series is about the Holy Spirit and who he is in our lives, what he does in our lives. And the reality is that many of us, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we minimize him just like we would a computer screen. That if there's a screen that we're done with, uh, we don't wanna get rid of it, close it out, but we just wanna move it aside, get it out of our way. That's what we do, we minimize it. And that's many times what we've done with the Holy Spirit. Uh, We still want him in our lives, but we don't wanna have to engage him, and so we kind of push him to the side. And so what we've wanted to do over the course of this series is to bring him back to the center stage, bring him back to the forefront and remind us, remind you of who he really is and what he really wants to do in our lives. There's been a few books that have influenced um, some of my teaching and some of my belief and just where I'm at with the Holy Spirit. And if you want to go a little deeper, there are four books that I would recommend that are all excellent. Um, The God I Never Knew by Robert Morris, The Holy Spirit by John Bevere, The Forgotten God by Francis Chan, and um, and one specifically I think would be helpful for this weekend and next weekend uh, is a book by a man named Sam Storms. He pastors a great church in Oklahoma City, and it's called Practicing the Power. And uh, all these books are fantastic resources when it comes to knowing who the Holy Spirit is and, and how he is applicable to our everyday lives even today. So let me just say from the f- forefront, in case you don't know this, we are a church that unashamedly believes in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That if, if he if it's in scripture, it is for us today. That There isn't a time that God said, uh, hey, I'm gonna hit the pause button. Um, the first century church needs prophecy, but they won't need it in the future. Or the first century church needs healing, but they don't need it in the future. And there's a, there's a belief among a lot of people that signs and wonders, that the work of the Holy Spirit was primarily for the first century church to help the church get started as, uh, as a, a starting point, as a springboard a catalyst for the church. And I will tell you that I believe that humanity needs the power and the work of the Holy Spirit more today than maybe at any time in our history. That if we needed it in the first century, we certainly need it today. Because if you look at our world and you look at our culture and you look at the state of Christianity, um, I would say we need the Holy Spirit at work in our lives like never before. And so we are unashamedly um, proponents of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Uh, and I would encourage you, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, go back and listen, go back and get caught up because I think it'll lay a groundwork for where we're at today. Uh, Acts chapter one, in Acts chapter one, uh, we see Jesus before he ascends into heaven. He gives instructions to his disciples and he says, uh, basically go wait in the upper room and the Holy Spirit will come. You're gonna be baptized in power. He's gonna fill you with power. And when he does that, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he says, you're gonna experience the power of God through the Holy Spirit, and then you'll be my witnesses. And so they leave there. Uh, They go and they wait in the upper room. And 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, they experience a powerful move of God. So in Acts chapter two, verse one, it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Now, several things I wanna point out here. The first is this. Sometimes we use the word Pentecost or you've heard the word Pentecostal. And this can even be used as a derogatory term at times, uh, Pentecostal. And so let me explain um, what that is. I would say if we were asked, I hate labeling 
our church or our beliefs or trying to narrow it down. But if, if we were asked, I would say, yes, we are a Pentecostal church. Now, we're not a Pentecostal church like a lot of churches are, and that's okay. There's different flavors and different styles. Um, but basically what that means is we believe, or it means of Pentecost. So we are people who can, are connected back to what Jesus did through the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. Um, that we believe it's for today. What we don't believe is it has to be weird. Because um, I've seen it weird lots of times and it doesn't have to be weird. And that's really what I've been saying over the last few weeks. I'm way more interested in seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in your normal everyday life than I am in seeing the work of the Holy Spirit just in corporate worship settings. I'm way more interested in seeing how the Holy Spirit can influence and impact your life in your workplace than in this auditorium. Uh, And so if I could have one or the other, I'll take the Holy Spirit active in your life during the week rather than in this room. It doesn't have to be one or the other, but that's what I would pick. So we are, we are a Pentecostal church. We're just not a weird Pentecostal church. Um, Pentecost is the name of a feast. It was a Jewish feast. It, it, it was held 50 days following Passover. And it was probably the most popular Jewish feast uh, because this was a time when Jewish, believe, Jewish people from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to worship uh, they would come to Jerusalem to feast, to gather with friends and neighbors, people they hadn't seen. They could reconnect. And so literally thousands of people from all over the world came to Jerusalem for, for Pentecost, for the Feast of Pentecost. And the reason primarily was because the weather was the best travel weather you could find at that time of year. So people literally would come from all over for this moment. And Pentecost was significant for Jewish people for another reason, because um, historically they celebrate that as the day that the law was given to Moses. And Jewish people have a high esteem for the law. In fact, uh, they, would, they would call Pentecost sometimes uh, Shema Torah, which means joy of the law. Uh, and so they, they loved this day of Pentecost and they would gather from all over the place. So it says specifically on the day of Pentecost, when Pentecost had come, they were gathered together in one place. Now I've talked about this word before, together, in the Greek language, uh, this word he, the, that's used here is homothumadon, and it means um, same fire, same passion. Um, and really, it's significant because it's not, it's indicating that they just weren't present in a room together. So like, there are many people in this room, you could say we're together, but it wouldn't be homothumadon. Homothumadon means we are the same passion, same fire, same spirit. That, that we might be different, but we are united by one purpose. Um, and so that's really what this word means. And it's interesting because this word homothumadon is a compound word, and it means to rush along in unison. And I like that because um, I don't like taking my time for anything. Like, let's get in and out, let's move, let's go, you know, let's make good time, all that kind of stuff. Um, and usually with God, don't we, we have to wait. We're waiting on God's timing, on his, on his uh, will and what he wants. And this is a moment where it's like, God wants to do something and he might do it quickly. And, and that's exciting to me. Um, and so when we look at this, it's interesting because, um, well, I had somebody recently um, I think it was a critical statement that they made to me, and we talked about it. But they said that I talk about unity too much. And, and I told them, I disagreed with them, and here's why. But um, some of you did your homework. A few weeks ago, I told you, here's your homework. Read John 14, 15, and 16. Some of you did it. Some of you did not. We won't talk about that right now. That's okay. 
But if you were an overachiever and you read chapter 17 of John, then you would know what I'm talking about. So John 14, 15, 16, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He's introducing who he is to his followers. And he's talking about, I'm going to be gone, but he's going to come. And it's important that you know who he is. And then we get to chapter 17. We see this moment where Jesus prays what's called the high priestly prayer. And this is the final um, recorded prayer of this kind in scripture. Now, he prayed, he talked to God a few times from the cross, but this is a moment that, that he prayed. And the primary focus of this prayer that we see in John 17 is he says, Father, make them one as we are one. And he's not just talking about his immediate disciples and his followers. He's talking about his current followers and his followers that are yet to come, the people who have not yet believed. He was talking about you and I when he said, make them one as we are one. And I don't know if you understand this, Jesus and God are, are one. They are connected. They are literally one. And Jesus says, that's how I want them to be unified with each other. It's interesting, the last prayer Jesus prayed wasn't make them comfortable or make them happy or make them successful. He said, make them one, make them unified. That's Jesus's prayer for us. That seems like it's pretty important to me. And this is why it's important because when unity happens, a move of God can happen. If you wanna move a God in your home, you know what you need to do? You need to get unified. If you wanna move of God in this church, you know what we need to do? We need some homothumadon. We need the same fire, the same passion. If you want a move of God in your workplace, in your school, wherever it is, do you know what you need? You need some unity, you need homothumadon. And this is the thing, this homothumadon is an answer. It's a very real answer to Jesus's prayer in John chapter 17. He's praying, make them one. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings unity and it paves the way for him to show up. Jesus' prayer was that those who were his would manifest a unique oneness in a world dominated by selfishness and division. God accelerates his glory through unity in Jesus. God accelerates his glory when we are unified under Christ. So unity is important. In fact, it's important in this moment when the Holy Spirit moves. Let me move on, chapter, uh, verse two. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of, or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages and the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Let's be honest for a second. No matter how spiritual you are, wouldn't this freak you out a little bit? Can we be honest? Now, those of us spiritual are like, oh, no, we would know it's a move of God. Really? <laughs> if we were just in here praying and all of a sudden fire appeared over our heads, wouldn't that freak you out a little bit? Come on. Let's be honest. And it doesn't stop there. Then they begin speaking languages they don't know. That seems like it would be a little uncomfortable. If you were just sitting in the room, I could understand why you would feel uncomfortable. Even reading this, some of you are a little uncomfortable. So let me help you with a couple things. Um, I, I know for a lot of people, when it comes to speaking in an unknown language, speaking in tongues, um, this gift from the Spirit, some people 
automatically reject the Holy Spirit because of that portion. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. I wanna help you understand what that is and, and what that's about and how it benefits us today. So let me help you with this though. There are people that believe um, that if you don't speak in an unknown language, you cannot be filled with the Spirit. I will say this. In Scripture, it is normative if you are filled with the Spirit to, to speak or pray in an unknown language. It's, it's normal, but it's not absolute. We see several places in Scripture where people are filled with the Spirit, but it does not say anything about them speaking in an unknown language. So I, wouldn't, I would not say it has to happen every time. I would say we're not sure. But I will also tell you it is a normal part of the experience. With that said, some of the same people who say it's impossible to be filled with the Spirit without speaking an unknown language would not say it's impossible to be filled with the Spirit without a flame resting above your head. And so what they've done is we will take some scriptures and go, this is normal and this is not normal. And so if you look at the, if you look at the breadth of scripture and you look at how the Holy Spirit moves in people's lives, um, whether they speak in an unknown language or not is up for debate every time. But what is not up for debate is when people encounter the power of the Holy Spirit in an authentic way, it is transformative in their lives. So whether you speak in an unknown language or not, Okay, we can talk about that. But what is not up for debate is when you experience the power of the Holy Spirit, you are transformed as these people in scripture were. So they experienced the power of God. They, they begin speaking in an unknown language and this is what they didn't do. They didn't go, man, this is incredible. Let's just sit here and do this. They said, hey, when you receive power, you'll be my witnesses. They connected the dots. And they said, we have experienced the power of God. Let's do something with what we've experienced. And this is a key. When we experience the power of God, we need to do something with what we experience. If we don't, it is not for God, it is for us. And this is where abuses of the gifts of the Spirit come into play. So, they spill out into the streets of Jerusalem and they're still speaking in unknown languages. They are preaching the gospel in languages they don't know and people from all over the world, remember who were gathered for Pentecost, they show up and they're like, hey, he's preaching in my language. How do you know my language? How do you know how to talk like I talk, right? Because all these people were gathered and they're hearing the gospel and all of a sudden people start going, man, these people are drunk, that's the only possible solution here, right? And Peter goes, no, 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 no. They are not drunk. This is what the prophet Joel prophesied about. This is that moment. This is what you've been waiting for. And so he begins to preach to them. And listen to what it says, Acts 2.37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? So Peter preaches to them powerfully, and in that moment, their response is, we get it. What do we do now? Where do we sign up? So Peter says, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So he's talking about water baptism. Then he says, then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I wanna point something out here. Um, some people are in disagreement about this. There are different camps, but I will say, 
I personally believe, and it's, it's part of the doctrine of our church, that we believe that the infilling, the filling of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent act to salvation. Now, we've said before, um, the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. He is necessary to bring us to Christ. He draws us, but... But that is not the same as the filling of the Spirit that we see here in Acts chapter 2. What we see all throughout Scripture is that most, well, every time, the filling of the Spirit is it's a subsequent act to, uh, to salvation. Now, they might be right on the heels of each other. Someone might be saved, and then they're filled with the Spirit, but it is always secondary to their salvation. So there's a moment of salvation where they receive Christ, and then at some point down the road, they are filled with the Spirit. So there are two separate acts here. Let me move on. Verse 39. This promise, and this is what Peter says, this promise is to you, your children, to those far away, all those who've been called by the Lord our God. And Peter continued preaching for a long time. He continued preaching for a long time. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. This is incredible. This is what Peter says. He says, this promise is to you, to your children, and to those that are far off. Um, this is important. The, the promise that he's talking about is twofold. Number one, the promise of salvation through Christ Jesus. And then secondarily, I believe that there's an implication that the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. It is for you, for your children, and those who are far off. And what he's saying is, there is no hierarchy in the spiritual, that there are not haves and have-nots when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, that, that salvation is for everyone, that the filling of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. It's not for a spiritual elite. It's not reserved for those who stand on platforms. It's not reserved for those who sing. It's not reserved for those who lead small groups. The, the filling of the Holy Spirit and salvation are for everyone. And I would say the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit is necessary for our lives. I heard somebody say one time, do you have to have the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? And this person said, no, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. Because <laughs> the truth is we need the Holy Spirit active in our normal everyday lives. And what he says, it's for everyone. It's interesting because in Acts chapter four, uh, Peter and John they have been filled with the Spirit. They're living this powerful life, leading the church, doing these incredible things. They're preaching the gospel according to who Jesus is, and the religious authority don't like that. So they call them in. They get called to the principal's office, and they're, they're going to be punished, and Peter just starts preaching to them. It's crazy. You can read it in Acts chapter 4. And, and basically, they're dismissed. They let them go. And this is what it says. Um, in verse 13 of Acts 4, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were uneducated common men and they knew these guys are not smart enough to say the things they said. They must have been with Jesus. Let's get this a little deeper. Um, it's interesting because these words here, uneducated in the Greek is agramatos and it means illiterate. Common men is idiotes in the, and the, the Greek, and it means untrained. Idiotes is literally where we get the word idiot in the English language. These guys were saying, these people are illiterate idiots, but they are speaking powerfully. Something has happened to them. They must have been with Jesus. And I'm telling you, 
when we experience the power of God in our lives through the Holy Spirit, it will take an illiterate idiot and make them somebody that God can use for his glory. There is no one, no one who is beyond the use of God in our lives. God can use us if we are submitted. Let me move on. Transition it. Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he's trying to correct some behavior in their church. One of the things we see, according to the text, is that there seems to be an abuse of the gifts of the Spirit, specifically the gift of tongues. And so he's trying to bring correction to what they do and how they do it. Um, He's trying to help them understand that we can have a move of God's spirit and still have it be in order. In fact, at the end of chapter 14, he says that everything should be done in order. So he's talking about public worship gatherings. When we come together, it should uh, uh, should not be the wild west. The carnival should not be coming to town is basically what he says. So he lays out some ground rules. He lays out some guidelines for things we should observe in corporate worship gatherings. And so let me just jump in. Uh, We're gonna look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. So he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. He, and he's talking about it in a very normal way, as if it's expected that they would know what he's talking about. So he says, I don't want you to misunderstand this. He says, I want you to understand how to utilize the gifts in the Spirit effectively and correctly. Uh, we talk a little more broadly about the gifts of the Spirit uh, back on October 2nd and 3rd in our series called Level Up. We did the last week and we talked about cheat codes and how the Holy Spirit is like a cheat code for our lives. It helps us go to the next level. So if you want, you can go back and listen to that or watch that from October 2nd and 3rd. Um, So he's trying to correct some unbiblical behavior, some things that are kind of going off the rails within their corporate worship gatherings. And so, uh, so he's bringing correction. And uh, he goes to verse seven. It says, the spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. This is interesting. A spiritual gift is given to some of us, most of us, each of us. Each of us have access to the gifts of the Spirit through the filling of the Holy Spirit. Why? So we can help each other. Therefore, the the good, the common good, as some translations say, it's for the encouragement of the body so that the church can be encouraged by how God moves powerfully through us. And also it should draw unbelievers. And so if it's not doing those two things, we're doing something wrong. And this is what we see even in the first Corinthian church. So this is what it says in first Corinthians 12, 10. He starts listing out all the gifts of the spirit. He doesn't do it exhaustively, but here's the gifts of the Spirit. And he gets to verse 10 and he says, Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Now, what he's talking about here is the public gift of unknown languages. Some people call it tongues. So it's the public gift of tongues. And this is different than what we might call the private grace of tongues. And these are two separate things that we're gonna walk through together because I wanna help you understand it. Um, but there was confusion in the Corinthian church and that's what caused some of these issues, I believe. And so let me jump in. First Corinthians 12, 14. It says, let love be your highest goal. And the reason he says this is he just comes from First Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter. 
And then he moves into 14. Now, this is in the context of the church. He's trying to help them understand, hey, your gift is not superior than somebody else's gift. We have to love each other well. So love is the foundation. Everything else springs from that. So he says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Verse four, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks in a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues. Did you hear what Paul said there? Some of you just got freaked out. You're like, oh no, it's gonna be one of those kind of services. Don't worry. But even more, I wish you could all prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. So he's trying to help them understand, hey, you have overemphasized tongues, and because of that, it's causing some disruption. It's causing some issues. Now, I would say we as a church, our church, Summit, we don't have an issue with abusing the gift of tongues. If you've been around, you know that that is not the case. But here's the thing. I think for for us, not just us, but for many churches, we've swung the opposite direction. We're not worried about too much. We're worried about, we don't want any. We're scared. What would happen if? And we've got to open our hearts to what God wants to do in corporate worship gatherings, what God wants to do in our personal lives, in our private lives, in our, in our prayer lives. We've got to understand that Paul isn't saying we never do this. What he's saying is we do it in the right way. Let me go on. Verse 6. And I'm gonna cherry pick a few verses here or there just for the sake of time. Verse six says, Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Verse 10 says, There are many different languages in the world and every language has meaning, but if you don't understand a language, I'll be a foreigner to someone who speaks it. And the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. So what he's saying is, if we come together and people are speaking in an unknown language, it won't make any sense. And he actually references the outsiders, people who are unbelievers or people who are new to their faith who see that. And it's confusing. They're going, what in the world is going on? They don't understand. And, and this is important. Um, a few years ago, we did a world reach trip to India. And uh, I went and Pastor Steph went and a few of uh, about 10 other people or so went on this trip. And some of you in the room went with us to India. And it was a good trip. It was new and we hadn't experienced a trip quite like this one before. We were doing a youth camp in India in the middle of nowhere. And the camp was supposed to hold about 220 kids. And we had about 1,600 kids for the camp. So the fire, mar fire marshal's not a big deal in that part of India for for one reason or the other. Anyway, so these kids are just packed in. They're sleeping in tents. They're all over the place. Um, and the camp, they, they wanted to bring in the most, the, the most dynamic American English-speaking preacher they could find, and they couldn't find him, so they invited me. And so, <laughs> and I hate preaching with an interpreter. I hate it. I hate it because I get a rhythm and I like telling stories and it's more narrative. And when you're with an interpreter, it's like, and then this is what happened. And then I did this. And it's just hard to get in a rhythm. I just hate it. And anyway, so I'm preaching and we got an interpreter. And then when I'm not preaching, there's another speaker. And his name is Rakesh Paul, which is, what a cool name. And so 
he pastors a big church in India and he would preach, but he speaks Hindi. I do not speak Hindi. And he would preach for 60, 80, 90 minutes. And our team is sitting there and we are falling asleep. Literally. There's no air conditioning. We're into this tent. It's a thousand degrees. And we're like, like, oh. And it's not because we're not spiritual. We all love Jesus. We had no idea what this guy was saying. No clue. We're getting nothing out of it. And there are kids in the audience that are amening. I'm sure they're getting moved and they're excited and God's speaking to their lives. Not us. We were ready for that thing to end. I never had people begging to hear me preach so much as my team on that trip. They're like, please, we want to hear you preach. It's like, that's weird. I've never heard that before. Why? Because they didn't understand anything. And this is what Paul's saying. He said, hey, if we come together and we're just speaking in tongues willy-nilly, what's happening? Well, we're feeling gratified and strengthened, but nobody else is. It doesn't help the body. And this is what he says in verse 13. So anyone who speaks in tongues should also pray for the ability to interpret what has been said. So what he's saying is that in public worship gatherings, in a corporate worship setting, there should never be a message in an unknown language without an interpretation to that message. That if somebody speaks something like that, someone else should bring the interpretation or that person. But if not, then it's not a God moment. And that's harsh. But Paul's trying to correct some of the behavior. And it's interesting because he is. He's thinking about the outsiders. He's thinking about uh, God wants to reach lost people. And the gifts of the Spirit should be drawing people, should not be repelling people. This is what he says in verse 14. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. So what he's talking about, and in the English Standard Version, it says my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And so what he's talking about is this, this division between our body, which is just our body, our physical body, our spirit, which is what is born again, uh, that is what is eternal, lives forever in heaven if you're a follower of Jesus, and our soul, and our soul um, is our mind, our thoughts, our emotions. That's what our soul would be. So what he's saying here is, when I pray in the spirit, I disengage my mind. But what happens for us is we will pray prayers with our mind, but we disengage our spirit. We will pray prayers and they are mind driven. It is, God, give me, bless me, help me. And the, the spirit's like, whoa, 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 I can help with that. Why don't you let me help you pray a better prayer? And you're like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I got this. And Paul says, but, but when I pray in my spirit, I don't know what I'm praying. I have no idea. And some people look at that as a reason not to. But I think it's just the opposite. Verse 15 says, well, then what shall I do? I'll pray in the spirit and also pray with words I understand. I'll sing in the spirit and also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? And how can you join in giving thanks when you don't understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. That's a bold statement, isn't it? Then he says, but in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. And so what he's getting to at this point is there's this implication. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. Now, he just prohibited 
speaking in tongues wholesale in church, in corporate worship settings. So the implication is that he's saying, I speak in tongues more than any of you, but in a corporate worship setting, we should limit it. Because in, in chapter 14, at the end of the chapter, he says, the spirit of the, of the prophet is subject to the prophet in the King James. He says, the spirit doesn't do anything we don't allow him to do. We're in cooperation and partnership with the spirit. So he doesn't take over and make us say things or do things. If we act weird, the Holy Spirit's like, I didn't make them do that. <laughs> like, don't blame me, I didn't do that, right? That's them, because we're in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So he says, you can shut it down because the Spirit is subject to you. So that's why he says, hey, in corporate worship gatherings, um, we don't just do whatever we want to do. We are led by the Spirit. But he says, I pray in the Spirit more than any of you. Again, so the implication is that he is praying in his personal time. He's speaking in tongues in his personal time. And this is this, this line between the public gift that he gives an outline for, he gives guidelines for, and the, the personal, the private grace. This is what I believe. I believe that whenever we are filled with the Spirit, we receive a, a, a prayer language, is maybe the best way to put it. And what it is, is uh, it's a way that we can pray directly to God. It's a way that we engage our spirit, but not our mind. We don't know what we're praying, um, but we are led by the Spirit in that moment. Um, here's the thing, though. We have to activate it. I said earlier, I don't think it's um, absolute that you will speak in tongues or pray in the Spirit uh, when you're filled with the Spirit because it's up to you. Because the Spirit doesn't make you do anything, doesn't make me do anything. We have to be willing to be a part of whatever he is doing. And so, he doesn't make you do anything, but we have to access it. Um, I, I've mentioned before, I think I've mentioned, I might, have, I might have not said this before. I'm a big fan of the meadows. Okay, a couple of you heard that. Okay. I wasn't sure. Um, and I believe the greatest confectionery device that's ever been thought of by human beings is peanut butter Oreo swirl custard. There are people that are like, I was raised Lutheran, but I'm Pentecostal now when you're talking about that. <laughs> um, I love peanut butter Oreo swirl. It's my favorite. And so once in a while, I'll get a phone call or a message in the office and, hey, so-and-so called and they dropped something off for you at the freezer. And I, that means the freezer in our kitchen, they put, they put some peanut butter Oreo swirl in there. I know what that means. I'm like, yes, all right. Somebody loves me, right? And... Um, there've been times that I've forgotten about it. I'm like, great, I'll pick that up later. I won't forget it. And I forget it. Like six weeks later, I'll be in the kitchen for something. I'll open it. <gasps> like, oh, like light shines down from heaven. Like, oh, like peanut butter oil swirl in the freezer for me. <laughs> so what happens when I forget it though is I don't have a plan for it. I, I don't think about it. I don't go, okay, hey, I'm gonna make sure I get that before I go home and I'm gonna eat that after dinner tonight. I just forget about it. I just set it aside. And because I do that, I can't access it. I don't get the goodness from it because it's sitting in the freezer instead of in my belly, right? <laughs> now, what if I went to the freezer and instead of um, ice cream deliciousness, I find that they've delivered me a different kind of ice cream. And if this is your favorite and it offends you, I'm sorry that you're wrong, but... 
But if I went to the freezer and discovered that they had brought me tea berry, which for the record, if horrible had a flavor, that's what it would be. If they brought me tea berry, I would be like, oh, that's so kind of you to bring me tea berry. And I know how this works. Somebody's gonna think they're hilarious and bring me some tea berry. Don't bother. Just save yourself the money. Because what is gonna happen? I'm gonna leave tea berry in the freezer. I'm never gonna access it because I go, I don't need that in my life. That is unwanted, it's unnecessary, and it's not helpful. Thank you very much, right? And this is what we do with the Holy Spirit. We go, oh, that sounds weird. That's, that's mm. no thank you. I'll pass. I'm just fine without that in my life. We treat the Holy Spirit like he's tea berry. We don't understand. You know where I'm going with this? He's peanut butter oil swirl. <laughs> we don't understand the benefit he is for our lives. So what do we do? We shell them. We don't access them. We go, hey, okay, I want the Holy Spirit, but I don't want this tongue stuff is weird. I want God, but I don't want that Holy Spirit. And we can't pick or choose and what we do is we end up leaving something good on the table because we're afraid. So <laughs> this is gonna scare you. That was not my intro, by the way, I'm wrapping up. But there are three things, three things that happens when we pray in the spirit. So number one, praying in the spirit speaks to God. First Corinthians 14, two, it says, for if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God. That's not a bad thing. I can talk to God. When I pray in the spirit, there's something about praying in the spirit that I can talk directly to God, that I can have a pipeline to God, that I can have a, a moment with God and I don't get in the way because sometimes I get in the way. When I pray in my mind, I get in the way. But when I pray in the spirit, I can talk directly to God. And let's be honest, aren't there some things that you just don't know how to pray about? If you've never had a moment in your life where you're like, I don't even know how to pray about this. What am I supposed to do? I've done everything I can. I've tried everything I can try. I don't know what else to do. Those are the moments that we let the Spirit pray through us and he prays prayers we don't know how to pray. He prays in ways we can't pray. I can pray this for other people. I can't pray this for myself very well, but I'll be talking to somebody and they'll be like, hey, Mel, pray for my husband. He is away from God and... Pray for my son, he's away from God, whatever it might be. And I can pray this prayer for somebody else I, and I will pray, I'm not kidding. I'll pray, God, make them so miserable in their life that they will come to you, right? Do whatever you've gotta do in their life to bring them to you. But I don't pray that prayer too enthusiastically for myself, right? God, make me so miserable that I'll find you in that place. Like, nope, no, I wanna say, God, help me find you in my comfort. That's not what the Holy Spirit prays though. The Holy Spirit prays the right prayer, the right time, the right way. So when I say, hey, I'm gonna pray in the spirit in this moment, I'm speaking to God and I'm praying prayers that I don't even know that I should be praying. Second thing is this, praying in the spirit builds up the one praying. First Corinthians 14, four says, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. In Jude chapter one, verse 20, it says, but you dear brothers or dear friends must build each other up in the most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. What this does is it builds us up and I can't explain it. I don't know how it works. I just know it works. I know so many pastors who have given up over the last couple of years. Because ministry's not easy normally, but you throw COVID and you throw 
politics and you throw uh, cultural issues into the mix and it's challenging. And I know so many pastors who have just said, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm gonna go do something else because it's hard. And this isn't like a yay me moment, but I'll tell you one of the things that has sustained me over the last couple of years has been praying in the spirit because there's been a lot of times I don't know how to pray, but I'll pray in the spirit. I think one of the things that's probably sustained most of our staff through this has been just praying in the spirit, tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Praying in the spirit builds us up. <laughs> And this isn't something we do for other people. This is, this is a private grace. Um, it's interesting, Pastor Christina, when we first hired her, um, <laughs> she was raised in a spirit-filled environment, but she wasn't sure that we were. She never asked during the interview process for some reason. And so she didn't know until during a worship night one night, we were standing on the front row and she heard me praying in the spirit. And she told me later, she was like, hey boss, I heard you pray in the spirit? She was like, yes, right? <laughs> But that's not for everyone. That's for me and God, right? And so if you see me on the front row, I might be praying in the spirit. If you see me on a worship night and I'm over in a corner by myself, you might, I might probably praying in the spirit. Why? Because it builds us up. We're praying in praise, that, praying in ways that we don't understand. Third thing is this. Praying in the spirit is Paul's desire for all believers. He said, I want you all to speak in tongues. He couldn't be more emphatic. This is something Paul says is important and valuable for our lives. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is important and valuable for your life. And if Jesus and Paul said these are things that are really important for you, why would we discount that? Why would we go, nah, I know better. Nah, I'm smarter than they are. So the question is, can I be saved without being filled with the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I think you can. You won't even sit in the bad section of heaven, right? They don't have like the VIP section for those filled with the spirit. And then they've got the section like standing room only in the back. Like here's your binoculars when you get to heaven. Like that's not how that works. Why would you want that? Could you be married without ever experiencing intimacy physically and emotionally with your spouse? Sure you could. Yeah, you can be married. But why would you want that? Why would you want just a, a friendship, a buddy, a roommate? Why would you want that? You, you want everything the marriage can offer, right? So why would you want just a ticket to heaven when you could have so much more? Can you be filled with the Spirit without praying in the Spirit? Maybe. But why would you want that? There's so much more than just surviving and going to heaven. I think God wants us to have an abundant life, just like Jesus talked about in John 10, 10. In John chapter 20, uh, Jesus has been crucified, he's resurrected, and he is back on planet earth. He's making some appearances. And in John chapter 20, he shows up in the living room of the disciples. They're sitting around, they're scared that their life is gonna be taken from them. And Jesus shows up and he has this conversation with them. And then in verse 22, it says, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this, receive the Holy Spirit. 
The word uh, in the Greek that's used here for breathe is emphusao. And emphusao means exactly what you would think it means. It means to breathe on. The thing that's interesting about this word emphusao is, uh, so in the New Testament, when we, in, in the English language, we read the New Testament, the Old Testament, the New Testament is interpreted from the Greek largely, and the Old Testament is largely interpreted from the Hebrew. But if you were a Greek person and you wanted to read the Old Testament, that would be interpreted from, from Hebrew to Greek, and that's called the Septuagint. And so in the Greek language, when you look at the, the whole the breadth of scripture, this word emphusao is used two times. And it's used in this moment when Jesus breathes on them and they receive the, for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And then it's also used uh, in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, when it says that God formed man from the dust of the ground. It says he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. I think this is symbolic because God brought life to humanity when he breathed the breath of life into him. And I think in this moment in John chapter 20, Jesus understands the significance and he wants to breathe life into his followers by introducing them to the Holy Spirit. And just like God introduces life, Jesus introduces life and this is the abundant life that I think Jesus wants for all of us. So the question for each of us today is, am I willing to let down some of my guards? Am I willing to be maybe a little uncomfortable to experience everything God's got for me? And I've told you before, I'm not gonna do the hard sell. I'm not trying to trick you into something. I wanna lead you to a place where you can see how beautiful, how lovely, how awesome our God is, and that you'll desire everything he's got for you without any kind of coercion. Because I'm telling you, this is the life that Jesus wants us to live. So I want to invite you into that. Hey, I'm going to turn it over to our host in Blairsville. They're going to close out the rest of our time together and give you an opportunity to respond. I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. You know, relationship with the Holy Spirit begins with a relationship with Jesus. So I want to give you that chance. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you're not in relationship with him, that's where it all begins. So I want to give you that chance. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. Lord, thank you. For loving us, thank you for being so good to us. <laughs> thank you that we can experience real life in you. And I pray that none of us would be satisfied with just breathing in and out until we die and go to heaven. But God, I pray that you'd give us a desire for more of you than we've ever experienced before. And I pray that we would not leave anything on the table, that, that we would hold nothing back from you just like you've held nothing back from us. So God, take us, take our hearts, use us for your glory. Lord, I pray that you take away fear and anxiety about who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in our life, how he wants to empower us. And God, I pray for those that don't know you, let today be the day they surrender to your lordship, they surrender to your kingship, that they lay down their purposes and plans and they take up your purposes and plans. Thank you that you're so good to us. Have your way with us over these next few moments. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I'm not really in relationship with Christ, but I, I, I want to. I want to know the abundant life that you're talking about. I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray a prayer with you. And if you say, Mel, I want to be included in that prayer. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Would you slip your hand up where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, remember me. Pray with me. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Praise God. Who else would say, that's me, Mel. Pray for me. Yeah, I see you on my left, sir. Thank you. 
Who else? Does Mel include me in that prayer? I see you on my right. Thanks, bud. Yeah, up in the balcony. Praise God. Okay. I'd like everybody, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to pray this prayer with me. The book of Romans tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. I don't want you to just pray it with your mind, though. I want you to pray from your soul, from your heart, from the core of your being. So I want you to pray this prayer as if you mean it. So everybody in the room, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to pay the penalty and pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, I repent of my sin and I turn away from my old life. My life is yours. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, I want you to know I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. If you made that decision today, it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. Um, I'd love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. The simplest thing for you to do would be to either take the card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out, then take it to our info center. They're gonna give you a free Bible and uh, help you get started. If you can't reach a card or you prefer not to, you can simply uh, text the word Summit PA to the number 94000. Select the prompt that says salvation. Let us know about your decision. We're gonna get some resources to you in the mail and help you take the next step. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for taking that step. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Um, our worship team, worship team, Kendall and Steve are gonna lead us in a final song. And, uh, and we're just gonna worship together one last time. And while we're doing that, our prayer team's gonna come up and they're gonna be here at the front of the stage, uh, some of our staff and pastors as well. And we would be honored to pray with you about whatever needs you may have in your life, whatever might be going on. And I especially wanna challenge you, if you're here today and you say, man, I wanna be filled with the Spirit. Nothing weird is gonna happen, I promise. We just wanna pray with you. And so if, if that's something you want, or maybe you just need healing in your body, a relationship issue, whatever it is, we're here to pray with you today. So please take advantage of that. And even after we dismiss in a moment, our team will stick around. And if you need prayer, they're gonna be here and available for you. So why don't you stand to your feet? Let's worship together one more time before we go today. Guys, I tell you often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know. And I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have an awesome day.